All right, welcome aboard to the Counter Vortex. Once again, with your ranter, Bill Weinberg. And uh, inevitably, I've got to respond to all of the hoopla which is surrounding the arrest of Julian Assange. And uh, basically, uh, you know, I'm going to have to rain on the parade here of all of you Assange boosters and seeker fans who are glorifying this guy who is a dangerous enemy of everything that progressives supposedly hold dear. So he's apparently been, um, he was apparently kicked out of the Ecuadorian embassy in London for skateboarding in the halls and not cleaning up after his pet cat uh, and uh, arrested by London cops for um, a bail violation. So thus far, this has absolutely nothing to do, contrary to what you're hearing from Noam Chomsky on Democracy Now!, this has nothing to do with U.S. extraterritoriality whatsoever. If he is extradited to the United States to face the criminal charges that have been brought against him here, well, that's a different story, but that hasn't happened yet. Thus far, he is being held by London cops for a bail violation in England. Nothing yet to do with U.S. jurisdiction whatsoever. Now, Jeremy Corbyn is arguing that Assange should not be extradited, quote, for exposing evidence of atrocities in Iraq and Afghanistan, unquote. Now, I'm sorry, whatever the merits of not extraditing Assange, and that's an issue which we'll discuss later in this podcast, the quote-unquote collateral murder revelation, which is what everybody points to, the video that was released in the initial 2010 Ricky Leaks document dump of civilians being killed by U.S. forces in Iraq. That is a footnote to the vast tsunamis of information which has been dumped by WikiLeaks. Much of it dumped in grossly irresponsible manner or even with clear bad political intent. And by that, I mean pro-Trump intent. So, I just can't believe that people are getting away with this propaganda and acting like, uh, you know, what's at issue here is exposing war crimes, which concerns, you know, one video and maybe a couple of the vast numbers of documents that were released in the initial document dump undertaken with the collaboration of Chelsea Manning, then known as Bradley Manning, way back in 2010. And in that document dump, there were 750,000 classified or sensitive military and diplomatic cables and documents, some of which demanded public attention, and many, many, many more of which did not particularly demand public attention. Their contents were pretty much ordinary and quotidian, and a few of which it was simply irresponsible to release. Now, initially way back in 2010, I also assumed that Julian Assange was a hero. But my views changed as more facts became clear. And to me, some of the most critical concerns about this document dump have been overwhelmingly overlooked by the media, by Assange's boosters and his detractors alike, amazingly enough. Now, you've heard... um, some talk about the uh, people who were serving as translators for the U.S. military in Afghanistan and how they were named in some of the documents and put at risk. But there were many more such people 
in many countries around the world who were thusly put at risk by the release of those documents. Initially, it was the group Index on Censorship, which raised concerns, for instance, that the opposition leader in Zimbabwe under the authoritarian regime of Robert Mugabe, Morgan Sangarai, could have been put at risk by uh, the release of a cable in which a U.S. diplomat recorded his views on sanctions against Zimbabwe. And Assange glibly dismissed this concern when he told Al Jazeera that figures who visit U.S. embassies are often, quote, spies for the U.S. in their countries, end quote. What an utterly cynical attitude. If Morgan Shangarai met with U.S. diplomats, one would hope and one would assume that he went into the meeting with his eyes open and without any illusions about U.S. imperial interests in Africa and was doing it because he was an opposition leader under an authoritarian regime and forced to take allies where they could find them. And the idea that he deserves his fate because he actually uh, met with U.S. diplomats is just, it's appalling. It's such arrogance. And, you know, it's particularly ironic that you hear this kind of line from exactly the same people who have no problem whatsoever with collaboration with Russian imperialism. And Assange himself for a while, before he had to uh, take refuge in the Ecuadorian embassy in London, had a, uh, his own program on RT, Russia Today, which is actually a direct media arm of the Kremlin. So please, let's examine your double standards on the whole question of collaborating with imperial governments, which Russia is no less than the United States. But things began to look a lot more sinister when we uh, turned to WikiLeaks' involvement in Belarus. And much of what I'm going to be uh, ranting about here was reported on quite extensively in a piece that I ran on Al Jazeera back on September 8th of 2012, entitled Julian Assange, Ecuador, and the Belarus Connection. You can find it online. In 2011, the year before Assange took refuge in the Ecuadorian embassy, once again, the Free Press Advocacy Group Index on Censorship cited evidence that WikiLeaks' so-called accredited representative in Belarus, a guy by the name of Israel Shamir, may have provided to the regime of ruling strongman Alexander Lukashenko intelligence from U.S. diplomatic cables to help determine who to round up. People may recall that following evidently stolen elections in Belarus in December 2010, strongman Lukashenko, who has been ruling since 1994, had over 600 protesters and dissidents rounded up. Some were tortured, and the campaign to win their release brought courageous, silent protesters, quote-unquote, repeatedly to the streets. The affair won Belarus the opprobrium of the UN Human Rights Commissioner, the European Union, the U.S. State Department, and global human rights groups, but happily for Lukashenko, few international headlines. Lukashenko was at that time known as Europe's last dictator. He still is, but I would argue that uh, now his buddy Vladimir Putin has also established the dictatorship, so now we have at least two dictators in Europe, with Viktor Orban in Hungary well on his way to establishing a third. Anyway, back to the story. 
During the roundup of dissidents following the contested elections of 2010, Lukashenko boasted in the state-controlled media of receiving WikiLeaks intelligence that revealed who was, quote-unquote, working behind the scenes in the protests. Israel Shamir was, meanwhile, boasting claims on Counterpunch website that um, WikiLeaks cables provided, quote, proof positive, end quote. The protests were, quote, orchestrated, unquote, by the U.S. State Department. Of course, there was no such proof positive, quote, unquote. The only uh, evidence which was brought to bear were indications that um, some money from a U.S. aid contractor, not even directly from U.S. AID, but from a U.S. aid contractor, may have found their way to some of the protesters in Belarus, which hardly means that the protests were orchestrated by the State Department. So the question is, did Israel Shamir, the so-called accredited representative of WikiLeaks in Belarus, turn over WikiLeaks cables to Lukashenko that named names of activists who had been identified or cultivated by the State Department? Index on Censorship queried WikiLeaks on the issue, submitting a list of questions about what material WikiLeaks or Shamir may have provided to the Lukashenko regime and Shamir's official status in the WikiLeaks organization. One WikiLeaks representative replied tersely, we have no further reports on this rumor slash issue, putting rumor slash issue in quotes, even though it wasn't a quote. Another told index on censorship, obviously it was not approved. Well, Perhaps it was obvious, but it uh, wasn't obvious enough for Israel Shamir, who was, you know, boasting about it on the Counterpunch website. Adding to the controversy, Israel Shamir is a notorious and obsessive anti-Semite. Now, we all know that the charge of anti-Semitism is, of course, used unfairly against critics of Israel. But even Palestine solidarity activists have issued denunciations of Shamir, warning that association with him could hurt the movement. Shamir's website avidly promotes Holocaust revisionism and runs such non-ironic headlines as, quote, down with human rights, end quote, and, quote, in defense of prejudice, end quote. This latter in response to protest of Shamir's references to warmongering, quote, Jewish media lords, end quote. And Lukashenko, not coincidentally, we can imagine, has also used ugly Jew-baiting rhetoric against the opposition movement in Belarus. Despite WikiLeaks being queried on the matter by Index on Censorship, Assange did not weigh in publicly on the Belarus affair, but the New York Times in March 2010 reported that he had complained of a, quote, Jewish smear campaign, end quote, against his organization in response to protests about his associations with Shamir. Now, it should be noted that the Times used statements were attributed to Assange by others, particularly by the British magazine Private Eye. Assange accused the magazine of distorting his words. However, he did not disavow Shamir or his claim to be accredited with WikiLeaks. Shamir, an open anti-Semite and an open collaborator, as open as in boasting about it, collaborator, with the dictatorship of Alexander Lukashenko. And amazingly, for all of the focus on the Assange sex scandal, which was breaking just about then, when he was supposed to be extradited to Sweden to face sexual assault charges, 
which is what resulted in him taking refuge in the Ecuadorian embassy in London, for all the media focus on the sex scandal, there was virtually no coverage over the accusations of collaboration with the Belarus dictatorship. And after all of these years, I'm still waiting for a real accounting from WikiLeaks as to what that was all about. And whether this organization, which purports to be, you know, libertarian and to be uh, demanding government accountability and transparency, was actively collaborating with a dictator who was rounding up pro-democracy demonstrators. And while I was waiting for some clarity on this issue, things got uh, a lot more complicated. We jump forward to 2016 and the contested elections in the United States of America that year. Okay, so the 2016 leaks, there were two of them. First from the Democratic National Committee, and then of Clinton campaign chair John Podesta. Obviously, partisan in intent. Not one damn syllable was released from the Trump campaign. Clinton could not even keep the debate focused on policy because the supposed revelations in the leaks dominated every news cycle. And Kremlin state media, like RT and Sputnik, especially hyped the revelations. And not always accurately. There was one passage about the so-called Benghazi scandal, which was falsely attributed to Clinton confidant Sidney Blumenthal in a possibly intentionally garbled account on Sputnik and other um, Russian official state media outlets. And that account was actually read from the stage by Donald Trump at a rally in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania in October 2016, mere hours before Sputnik scrubbed it from the website. So are we really expected to believe that this was not coordinated? Just one example. And there is a case, at least, that the WikiLeaks dumps swung the election. Now, I have to be clear here. I am, by no stretch of the imagination, letting Clinton off the hook for being an uninspiring mediocrity and a bad candidate. Not in the slightest. But precisely because that reality made for a close race, it was possible for the leaks to swing the election. And Paul Krugman, writing in the New York Times, argued that they did, along with then-FBI Director James Comey's 11th-hour announcement about the investigation into the uh, supposed Clinton email scandal. Krugman wrote, quote, Did the combination of Russian and FBI intervention swing the election? Yes. Mrs. Clinton lost three states, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, by less than a percentage point, and Florida by only slightly more. If she had won any three of those states, she would be president-elect. He was writing this before the inauguration. Is there any reasonable doubt that Putin Comey made the difference. End quote. The Mueller report, which has just been released, which all of the Putin and Trump sycophants are jumping on as vindication because it didn't call for uh, any further indictments, also extensively documents WikiLeaks' apparent coordination with the Trump campaign. One quote. Quote, on multiple occasions, Stone, meaning the GOP operative Roger Stone, told senior Trump campaign officials about materials possessed by 
Organization One, meaning WikiLeaks, and the timing of future releases, end quote. So once again, a pretty much explicit reference to the successful attempt to dominate the news cycle with the so-called revelations from the WikiLeaks dump during the presidential campaign and to keep Clinton from being able to actually talk about the issues or set any kind of agenda herself. And just by way of, uh, you know, the, this strange, almost to my mind, surreal alliance which has come together between the Trump political machine and elements of what continues to be called the political left for reasons which become more mysterious to me every day, the apparent middleman or go-between who served as the, uh, you know, the conduit of information between Roger Stone and Julian Assange was none other than Randy Credico, who, like myself, is a former producer at non-commercial Pacifica Radio, WBAI, here in New York City, an institution which has, you know, long been, I would say it's not anymore, but had for many years <laughs> been a, a pillar of the political left in New York City, at least. Other connections. In October 2017, Daily Beast reported that Alexander Nix, the CEO of Cambridge Analytica, the controversial data firm that helped Trump to power, had contacted Julian Assange to ask him if he wanted help, quote-unquote, with WikiLeaks' stash of stolen emails. In June 2018, The Guardian reported that a Cambridge Analytica director visited Julian Assange the previous February and told friends that it was to discuss what happened during the U.S. elections in 2016. One Brittany Kaiser, a director at Cambridge Analytica at the time, also claimed to have channeled cryptocurrency payments and donations to WikiLeaks. And Donald Trump on the campaign trail repeatedly praised Julian Assange. Today he's singing a different tune. I know nothing about WikiLeaks, he said after Assange's arrest. But that's not what he said at that rally in Wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania on October 10th, 2016. Then he said, with great ebullience, I love WikiLeaks, quote unquote. Later that month, he told a rally in Colorado, quote, the WikiLeaks revelations have revealed a degree of corruption at the highest levels of our government like nothing we've ever seen in this country before, end quote. At another rally that same month, October 2016, Hillary Clinton, as WikiLeaks proves, is a corrupt globalist, end quote. And we all know what globalist is code for, or at least I hope we do. I think that the facts quite amply demonstrate that Julian Assange is a Kremlin asset and a Trump collaborator and was an active agent in a Russian lubricated effort to throw the U.S. elections in 2016, which arguably succeeded in doing so, which was a part of Putin's greater agenda in collaboration with Trump to oppose a fascist world order worldwide, abetting the rise of the ultranationalist and xenophobe right in Europe, propping up dictators like Bashar Assad in Syria, etc. But whether or not you think that WikiLeaks swayed the outcome of the election, it doesn't change the evident reality that Assange 
is a Kremlin asset and a Trump collaborator, and in short, an agent of fascism, an opponent of liberal democracy, and not, you know, a true left libertarian such as myself, who opposes liberal democracy because it's insufficiently democratic. (laughs) But someone who opposes liberal democracy because it's too democratic and prefers dictatorships, such as that of Putin and Trump. And after Trump's election, I'll point out, Assange said in an interview with Italy's La Repubblica, when asked about his views about the U.S. president-elect, quote, Donald Trump is not a D.C. insider. He's a part of the wealthy ruling elite of the United States, and he's gathering around him a spectrum of other rich people and several idiosyncratic personalities. It is the new patronage structure, which will evolve rapidly. But at the moment, its looseness means there are opportunities for change in the United States. Change for the worse and change for the better. End quote. Whereas, quote, Hillary Clinton's election would have been a consolidation of power in the existing ruling class of the United States. End quote. So once again, this reactionary line that somehow the election of an outright fascist like Trump was preferable to the election of a liberal like Hillary. Okay, now, was it illegal? Well, there's a few points that need to be made here. First, discussing the DNC and John Podesta email dumps. Those were private emails. The DNC is not a government agency. Its decisions affect politics, and a case can be made that it is fair game for hacking, but it is not a government agency. And John Podesta is an individual, a powerful and politically connected individual, again, whose email correspondence you could make a case, perhaps, was fair game for hacking. So I will uh, admit to some moral, if not legal, ambiguity in the case of the 2016 hacks. But there is none in the indiscriminate 2010 document dump, which may have placed dissidents at risk in places like Zimbabwe, and even less in the case of Belarus, where the only ambiguity in Belarus is whether WikiLeaks was engaged in mere reckless endangerment of dissidents or of conscious collaboration with the dictatorship with greater evidence for the latter thesis. Now, I have no problem, obviously, with release of the collateral murder video. But once again, that was one of over 700,000 documents which were released in the 2010 dump the release of many of which was to be generous and forgiving, grossly irresponsible. In any case, the current charges against Assange in the United States don't concern the 2016 Democratic Party email dumps. They concern the 2010 Manning document dump. Now, two organizations which I respect, the American Civil Liberties Union and the Committee to Protect Journalists, have issued statements at least raising concerns about the indictment of Assange. The ACLU writes, quote, any prosecution by the United States of Mr. Assange for WikiLeaks publishing operations would be unprecedented and unconstitutional and would open the door to criminal investigations of other news organizations. Now, I am still waiting for some analysis on this matter from Index on Censorship, which was the organization which was most aggressive 
on WikiLeaks violations of the privacy rights of opposition activists under authoritarian regimes back in 2011. I want to hear what Index on Censorship has to say about the apparently impending prosecution of Julian Assange. But meanwhile, I reject the pretension that Assange is a journalist, and I question whether WikiLeaks is actually a media organization, quote-unquote. Before we get to that, I want to point out that I do not see this question in terms of national security, but in terms of privacy rights, apart from the political questions involved and looking at it strictly as a legal matter. Hacking into government computers and revealing information can be justified, and I would argue was justified in the case of the collateral murder video, even justified under international law as exposing war crimes. But that does not mean that everything that WikiLeaks did was justified, either legally or ethically. And once again, the collateral murder revelation was a mere footnote to the overall work of WikiLeaks. So I need to study the charges against Assange further, and I certainly await the analysis of Index on Censorship. But if I am called upon to protest on behalf of Julian Assange, it will be the most odious duty of my life. Now, I want to tell a little story. Back in the 1990s, I was arrested by plainclothes cops on the Lower East Side for putting a Giuliani is a jerk sticker <laughs> on a lamppost. And I was sentenced to community service. Well, first I had to spend the night in the tombs, the oppressive, overcrowded, and on that summer night, sweltering jail in lower Manhattan. And then after spending an extremely unpleasant night in the tombs where there wasn't even any um, place to lie down, I had to stand up all night in an overcrowded and sweltering and stinking holding tank. Then I went before the judge and I was sentenced to community service, which meant um, spending an afternoon cleaning up dog shit in Tompkins Square Park. Now, this would have been a pleasure compared to having to protest on behalf of Julian Assange. Because at least when I was sweltering in the tombs and cleaning up dog shit in Tompkins Square Park, I felt morally clean. Okay? I may have been physically dirty, but I felt morally clean in what I was busted for. Giuliani is a jerk and needed to be protested. And lampposts are public property and a legitimate forum for public dissent. But protesting on behalf of Julian Assange without making explicitly clear that he is an evil schmuck would make me feel dirty, which is why I am doing this podcast. And I will add that even if we are to oppose Assange's extradition to face computer hacking conspiracy charges in the United States, Assange likely should be prosecuted for violations of the privacy rights of those who are named in the Manning document dump, preferably in a venue other than the United States court system. This is another question that needs to be explored, which nobody else is talking about. A few other things to touch on here before I wrap it up. One is, uh, does anybody else out there remember the case of Reality Winner, who was a contractor for the National Security Agency, who was sentenced to five years in prison last year for having leaked a document which appeared to show efforts by Russian intelligence to directly hack local electoral authorities 
here in the United States during the 2016 race. Now, unlike in the WikiLeaks DNC document dump, there is no moral ambiguity here. Reality Winner leaked a government document. This was true whistleblowing by any definition. This was leaking an NSA document, not the private correspondence of a private individual like John Podesta. And nobody even remembers Reality Winner. When her case broke, there was a brief flurry of coverage, and now it's completely forgotten. And when she made a plea deal last summer and got sent to the slammer for over five years, the media barely even paid any note. And meanwhile, Julian Assange, whose actions are ethically and politically problematic by the most generous and forgiving interpretation, has become this big cause celeb. I just don't get it. If you're saying free Julian Assange and not saying free reality winner, something is seriously amiss. And it seems that many people who continue to call themselves progressive, once again, with lesser reason every day, only cheer on the leaking of information which is harmful to liberal Democrats and not that which is harmful to open fascists like Trump and Putin. What is up with that? And to further exemplify this bizarre tendency, none other than the neo-Nazi David Duke just tweeted a tweet in which he hailed Julian Assange as, quote, a martyr who exposes Zionist wars and the tyranny of the West, end quote. So I want to know. Glenn Greenwald and all you other people who consider yourselves progressives who were, you know, cheering on Assange in unqualified, glorified terms. I want to know how strange do the bedfellows have to get before these so-called progressives start to feel a little bit uncomfortable? Just asking. Okay, finally, I'm a journalist and I consider myself a free speech absolutist. So I take very seriously any kind of legal precedent that could be a threat to me doing my work. But I also want to make clear here that Julian Assange is not a journalist. I will not acquiesce in the dumbing down of that word by applying it to Kim. Journalists process and analyze and digest information. They don't just dump it. And releasing private information that places dissidents under authoritarian regimes at risk is not free speech. It is collaboration in repression. It is antithetical to free speech because free speech includes the right to anonymity. And I'm not even certain that WikiLeaks is a news organization, quote unquote. It's rather a a question of definitions there. I am certain that Assange is not a journalist. I don't know whether... uh, WikiLeaks is a news organization. It's rather a question of definitions. They're a research organization, to use perhaps an all-too-flattering term, <laughs> but an arguable one at least. But they certainly aren't a, you know, a news organization or a media outlet in the same sense that a newspaper is. Does anybody remember newspapers that actually report news, actually produce journalism instead of just dumping private emails? and dumping hacked documents, unedited and undigested? I don't know. Anyway, even if 
of which I am not yet certain, we should be protesting the charges against Assange. We should be doing so while refraining from glorifying him, and indeed while forthrightly repudiating him as a dangerous political enemy of all progressive values. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. This has been the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg. Check us out online at countervortex.org. Support us on Patreon. Those undoubted few of you who will feel vindicated by what I've been saying. But in any case, whether you like what we're saying or not, be in touch. Love to hear what you think. Rant on you next time.